If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians. should be chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. We've just finished up one of the greatest dissertations of God's sovereignty that you're ever going to get into in chapter 1. Now we move into chapter 2. I want you to look with me at the reading of the Word of God, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedient. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even though we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Father, thank You. Thank you for this wonderful text. Father, I thank you for your holy book. Father, I thank you for the men and women who bowed before you in humble adoration and used in ways that we are still reaping this day. Father, I pray that you will open our ears and our eyes in this weird time in the church age. That, Father, we would understand what we who are in Christ the body of Christ, understand that what we have. Father, the resources that are due every child of God, every child of God, the power that moves between your people and your body, the manifestation of our Savior in a lost and dying world. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. We're coming into chapter 2. It's a fascinating text. I, I almost wish that I had about seven or eight hours just to wander around in this with you. And I know that you guys are thinking, oh golly, here we go. Because it is amazing to me, when I, I look at Scripture, there's, I, I'm always looking, okay, what is God telling me? Why is he telling me? And what in the world does it mean to me now in 2017, October the 1st? Okay? And because I hear a lot of people who say, well, you know, that's an old book. And I hear this and I hear that. But he makes a statement here that is... 
I'm not sure that the church has any idea. Sorry. Verse 5. He made us alive in Christ. You don't hear that. I'm alive in Christ. What does that mean? That you're alive in Christ. What does that mean? Well, I'm alive in Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's sort of like I can smile at somebody and say, well, I'm born again. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean when someone says, I'm saved? I shared with you the little illustration. Jesus saves. What does it he save? What is it? Is he collecting something? And one of the things that is astonishing to me is how few people know what that is. They go to church. They're involved. I'm in the worship, whatever. I do this. I do that. I'm yeah, I'm in. I'm in. But what does it mean? What does it mean that you are alive in Christ? What it really means. What does it really mean to be saved? Do you understand that? What does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, you're here today because you're a... You're a Christian. Or you think you're a Christian. But I want to ask you a question. What does it mean? What does it mean to be saved? That's what this section is about. These first ten verses, Paul is dealing with salvation. And you know what? I went through it. For, I've been going through it for a while. You guys know kind of how I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, but I just read a lot. And you know, I've been taking us through chapter one. Now I'm in chap. I've been in chapter two for about a month and a half. And the more I read it, the more I'm like, wow, man, that's kind of cool. But then I look at the pattern of what the Apostle Paul is doing, and I'm like, no, that's perfect. This is perfect. I just came out of what God's plan is. I pray that you guys will get a handle on what God's plan is. But let me show you how it looks. You know what? I was going through this, and as uh, you guys know, I don't do things like everybody else does. Most people come up with an outline, and then they hang all the stuff on it. I can't do that. <laughs> I've, not, I've not perfected that. So I get all the stuff, and I, I get all this quote-unquote meat and potatoes hanging out there, and then I figure out, what should I hang it on? And what I realized is going through this and a few other odds and ends in my life, some of this may be new to some of you. And yet, when I go through it and I look, I realize how vital it is and yet how it is missing. How many people I deal with on a daily basis who have no understanding what they have in Christ. 
Now, before you start acknowledging me and all the rest of it, how do you know I ain't thinking about you? Ever thought about that? Just a question. Do you really understand what you have in Christ? Because that is the doctrine of salvation. It is essential. It's imperative. It's important. And yet, I have walked with the king for 30, 35, 36 years. I've been the senior pastor of this church for 23 years. And I've seen so many who try to describe their salvation. And they're clueless. And I mean, I don't, I don't walk in and say, well, you know what? I'll believe you're clueless. I, I have a little more tact than that. Not a lot, but a little. A little more. People say, well, you seem very defensive. If I'm dealing with church leadership, yeah. Because if you're wrong in a leadership position, you're leading people to hell. And I'm not even going to tolerate that for 10 seconds. And I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you something. <laughs> okay? I listen to people describe to me their salvation. The normal response is that I have been saved from my past sins. I've been forgiven. It is grace and mercy and love of God. It has removed the guilt of my past. Then you'll hear him press on and says, I'm looking, and I hear it called a lot of things today. I've heard it called the second blessing. I've heard it called, you go through a time when suddenly you make Him Lord. I've heard it called, I was forgiven of the past, and I've decided to give Him control. That's how I came to salvation. I was released from public housing. The only thing I knew about the Bible was I needed to be uh, baptized. I went to a church that says I need to be baptized. The guy says, well, I said, here's the deal, dude. You either baptize me now or I'll go find somebody that will. I mean, that's all I knew. And I'm not going to waste no time here. I, and then, then when I got baptized, I said, now what am I supposed to do? We'll read the Gospel of John. Well, why in the world would I read a book starting in the middle? So I read the Gospel of John. Then I thought, I'm going to be really spiritual. I'll read it about four times. And I said, now what do I do? He said, well, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm in construction. He said, well, then we need you to paint the building. We need to change light bulbs. We need you to do this and do that. So I'm a Christian. Then I was told by a pastor that normally what happens is people get saved 
They're very energetic and authoritative. They think that this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then we usually have about a year, year and a half of just being passionate about the things of God. Then they have to fall away between three to five years. And after three to five years, when they come back, they'll be right on. So I, all right, now I have me a little calendar and I'll just you know, make sure. I'll give you a year and a half and then I'm going to go out and party my brains out again. I'll come back in three years and Jesus will be mine. Because when you give him control, then you're going to get the good stuff. The peace that surpasses all understanding. It will guard your heart. Then you'll have a right walk. Everything will be copacetic. You'll be just doing good. And everybody will be going, wow, man, look at that. Look at that. Theologically, they call it the doctrine of sanctification. You slowly, gradually grow into Christ's likeness. There are so many who believe that they are saved, but they are looking or they are waiting for what comes next. And you can sit and tell me that you. Oh, I already know. Really? What does your actions tell? What does your actions tell? Listen, I can spend about 10, 15 minutes with a human being. And within 10 or 15 minutes, I will know what their number one priority in life is. There are too many in the body of Christ right now think that there is more needed. I need fill in the blank. I mean, it is kind of crazy when I, I sit and listen to people. I believe that, yeah, we all should study more. But some people believe that if I study more, then therefore I am what? You're more. Tell you what, some of the most godly people I've ever seen in my life were completely biblically ignorant. But whatever you showed them in the book, you'll never take it away from them. And I've never seen anything like it. There ain't nothing moving them. You can't move them. Oh, I need more prayer. Yeah, you're supposed to pray without ceasing. That's not really that difficult, is it? Oh, wait. It tends to be a little bit of a pain, doesn't it? I'm to pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. No. I had it best described by a man in California who said, prayer for a Christian should be like breathing. Sometimes you're aware of it. Sometimes you're not. I need an experience. Those people who are powerful for Christ, they got the lightning bolt or something. Had a lady tell me one time that the reason I have such a fervor for Jesus Christ is because I come from such a black place. Really? Sin is sin. I mean, it's black. I don't, it ain't a degree of black. She said, well, you don't understand. He had to die for your sins. For me, he just needed lashes. I said, well, I don't know about you, but that sounds dangerous there isn't no degree I try to tell people my lifestyle the only difference between me and most people is everything you thought about I just went ahead and did it because I know I ain't done nothing that nobody else ain't ever thought of 
I hate to break the news to you, Castle Rock Baptist Church. That's the norm. Right now, that's the norm. I have a Russian pastor friend of mine, wonderful. He says, I pray for you guys in America. And I said, why is that? He says, in America, you add Jesus to your life. He says, here in Russia, Jesus is life. You know what? That's where you're at right now. That is not what this letter says. When we have Christ, we have everything. You are missing nothing. We are complete in Christ. The wonders of all that God gives us are here now. I shared with you when we were going through chapter 1. When you look at scriptures, when you're studying scriptures, when you're meditating on scriptures, when you're taking in the mind of God, it will come to you as your position in Christ and your practice in Christ. In the body of Christ right now, we all know what our practice is. Very few have I met know what their position is. I've had people come to tell me, I know what my position is, and I have to break the news to them. Your practice denies that truth. I know what my position is. And my practices were at that battle. I keep asking. Maybe it's not enough yet. I have to be more involved in vacation Bible school. Or maybe I need... I remember a guy one time says, as soon as somebody gets saved, you need to make them teach a Sunday school class so they'll read their Bible. Listen, if I've got to make you read your Bible, you go back to step one. I had a pastor came and visited us years ago, and he says, when I come to your church, everybody's got their Bibles and their pages are moving and all the rest of it. Can you come up and get my church to do that? And I said, just get your church saved. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be born again? Here in these 10 verses is that definition. And you know what I've learned? There's a massive amount of confusion about salvation. Most people believe it's, it will help me with my guilty conscience. And that's not what it's for. So many are claiming to be born again today and they are obviously don't know what the meaning of it is. The Apostle Paul lays it out. There is a, uh, a surprising amount of confusion. I mean, how many people have been told or grew up with, say this prayer and you shall be saved? Okay, can anybody tell me where that's at in the Bible? I've been reading for a while. I just haven't been able to find that yet. I can't find it, but don't worry, I shall keep reading. But I don't know where that's at. 
What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to have Christ? What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be in Christ? I spend more time with the Apostle Paul than I do anybody. Okay? He is stunned at being in Christ. In Him. To the Apostle Paul, that's it. To, to, to use today's vernacular, that freaked him out. I'm in Christ. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul makes it really clear. I gave you six points here. Salvation is from sin, is by love, it is into life, it is with a purpose, it is through faith, and it is unto good works. Six points that he has here. And you know what? A cursory reading of these ten verses should remove any and all doubt. And it's right here that we should each, every single one of you, if you're a visitor, hallelujah. Every single person here should read this and evaluate this and know this. And you know what? Just for me, perhaps... Even share it with others. We have to remember what this letter's focus is. What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be in the body of Christ? Let's be realistic. In the United States today, in Colorado today, in Castle Rock today, the church is taken for granted. Okay, I have traveled internationally. When I get out out of here, it breaks my heart. They all—I remember my first trip to Russia. <laughs> I, I remember they said, "Do you have any youth?" This was back when we had a youth group. Of course, we were all related, but we had a youth group. My kids are in it. A few of your other kids are in it. They said, "You you, you need to bring your kids over here," and he says, uh, "So that your kids can minister to our kids." I was like, man, that'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Man, just get a big bus of people and drive them across the Atlantic Ocean. One morning I got up. I think it was like a Tuesday. Tuesday or Thursday I was teaching the pastors in the community. And I looked down, my, my little apartment thing that I was staying in, I looked down, I could see into the fellowship hall of the church. It's still dark out. Okay, and this was like February in Russia. Okay, that's a goofy winter there, man. I mean, they got, they got snow piled up on the sidewalks that you feel like you're in the trenches. Okay, and I'm and it's cold. Okay, it's still dark outside. I look in these windows, and it's full of kids. I mean, all age groups. So me and my infinite what in the? I decide, you know, I'm gonna go over. So I go cruising in there. Sure enough, my interpreter is in there. And I says, oh, man, what's going on? Oh, before the kids go to school twice a week, the junior high kids teach the middle schoolers. They're going through the letter of Galatians. And then when they get done, the high schoolers are going with the junior high schools doing the same letter. And you want me to bring my kids over here? Really? Really? There's a problem 
There's a huge problem. I don't care who you are. Because I can look at that and say, my kids can't do that. What example are they following? It was amazing to me because it's like everybody could play the guitar and everybody could play the piano except me. I mean, everybody. They just walk up. I mean, anybody time in the church. And you're sitting there going. I was like, does anybody in this church not play the piano or guitar? And said, oh, no, everybody plays. You don't understand. Under socialism, we had no access to radio or any type of communications. If you wanted to hear music, guess what? You'd better go make it. See how we have distracted ourselves. What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be one with Christ? What does it mean to be a part of his body, the church, which he is the head of? What does it mean? What it means is to be master planned into the body of Jesus Christ before the world began. That's chapter 1, first 14 verses. And then Paul shows us this master plan that was done in eternity past. And in 15 through 23, at the end of chapter 1, he says, I pray that they get it. Now, I've had people come up to me and say, well, I've always understood that. And I'm sitting there going, evidently, Paul wasn't praying for you. That's stupid. If the Apostle Paul can lay out theology that can choke a horse and we want to fight over it. And he says, I pray that these people can get this. Guess what? That means we struggle with it. I got to be honest with you. I'm not the brightest bulb in the package, but I really struggle with things that happen before the creation of existence. That's a little on the cosmic sides to me. God planned this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit started naming names before they made the foundations of the world and these would be in the body of Christ. I don't know about you. That's out of my pay grade. So when I started going through that with you guys, I started praying that each of you would understand that. That we would understand this. That we'd get a grip on the meaning of being in Christ. What it means to be elected before the foundation of the world. Redeemed before the foundation of the world. And given an eternal inheritance before the foundation of the world. Do you understand the tremendous wonders of our position? All that we have in having Christ. There is nothing lacking. And you know what? That's just in chapter 1. Now Paul moves from eternity past in chapter 1 into time in chapter 2. Chapter 2 is dealing with you and I. October the 1st, 2017 in Castle Rock, Colorado. I went from here is the plan to here it is in time.
he starts explaining it in time, in your and my present time, right now. You, right now. And he starts it with the very process of salvation. You know, I've had people... I, I came to salvation when I begged him to save my wretched soul. <laughs> was the year that the Oakland Raiders beat the Washington Redskins the first time an AFC team won the Super Bowl in forever. That seems odd, doesn't it? Well, that's miraculous. That's when you want to get saved. Oh, yeah, that's when I want to get saved. All right, I'd run out of rope. And then all of a sudden I started reading the scripture and it says, no, man, you were saved before existence. Why? What was God's plan? That's, to me, that, I don't know how we can tolerate ourselves. That should be, oh, Wow! <laughs> As the great philosopher once said, Shazam! Wasn't that Jim Neighbors? Anyway. Listen, this act that he's speaking of is what I call the miracle of salvation. That act brings us into realizing the eternal plan. See, I see people know the practice. We're going through Leviticus. Don't do this. 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 Right? And we all go, oh, gee, what? Huh? Okay. Right? But then we get into the New Testament. We're in the New Testament now. And, you know, it says here that, you know, husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Oh, yes. Amen. 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 And, you know, and the wives are supposed to, oh, amen. And the children are, oh, yeah. Amen. Treat your employees. Oh, amen. 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 And we all go through it. Right? And we all know it. But you know what? You can't do it. I've watched you. When you've been in the church as long, this church as long as I've been, you guys can't do it. Love you. God bless you. But until you know what your position in Christ, you're wasting time. If you weren't wasting time, then you know what I would tell you? Then go practice Leviticus. And yet, I hear people tell me they're looking for miracles. And I keep thinking, we don't comprehend the miracle of salvation. That act brings us into understanding eternity. I can understand eternity before there was existence. I can understand eternity after existence. The plan is in chapter 1. How do I get in the plan is chapter 2. That is how I realize it. That is how it becomes real to me. As my friend who is in glory used to say, that's how you flesh it out. He says, you were saved unto good works. Amen. What are you supposed to do with it? Walk in them. You don't go and create them. You don't go and invent them. You walk in them. Paul is very concerned that we understand that we as Christians are possessors of the power of God. Got that? 
We, as Christians, are possessors of the power of God. It isn't that when you are saved, you get your sins forgiven, and that's it. And try to get out of there by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. You are Christ incarnate. You are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How much power do you suppose is behind that little problem? And you really believe, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to be just like Jesus. Really? I don't think so. I've seen some of you. You're trying. God bless you. Each believer receives all of the power of God at the very moment, instant of salvation. You're lacking nothing. It's, I gave you an illustration a couple of weeks ago when I was in chapter 1. When a baby is born, you're not waiting for it to grow feet and legs so that it walk. Right? When a baby is born, what's lacking? It needs to know how to do it. I just got to know how to do it. But you got everything you need. It's right there. When you're a Christian today, you come to salvation. Let's say today is the day of your salvation. Everything is there. And that's one of the things that drives me crazy. Is that God put this living organism in your and my midst to help you accomplish this. It's called the body of Christ. Which is also known as the church. And yet, church is when it's convenient. And you wonder why you're crawling around and you're still in diapers. Supernaturally empowered men and women in your midst. To help you understand your resources. But I only want it for an hour on Sunday. And you wonder why by Thursday you're having a bad time? When Paul is praying that you and me, we, would understand that the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the already present working of his mighty power. It's already there. It's there. Tap into it. Why? Do you guys understand, if you're a believer today, okay, now I'm talking about legitimate believer. I'm not saying, well, I'm in church today. No, I'm talking about you're a legitimate believer. Do you know that you have a supernatural gift for me? I think that's awesome. I think it's totally cool. And do you know that God planned that before the foundation of the world? That you're going to help me walk with Christ. Woo! That's why it takes so many of you to help me. No. <laughs> Paul's prayer is, oh God, may these Christians know the tremendous power that is theirs in Christ. Do you understand that when he writes this, he's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day? And yet he's trying to tell the people he's writing these letters to. Do you understand the power you have? 
Do you understand the power you have? But Paul, you're chained to a Roman soldier. Do you understand the power? What is on Paul's mind? He wants all believers to understand this power. He illustrated in verse 20, remember? He brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Now, I don't know about you. Can anybody qualify with that power? I'm trying to figure out. Let's see, the last guy I seen get raised from the dead was... Um, uh, Shoot, I'm a little foggy in remembering that one. He has so much power that he can resurrect dead tissue and then exalt it at his right hand. Resurrection power and exaltation power. And we all agree. Amen, brother. Amen. Preach it. It's Easter. That's we're going to get them the eggs and chocolate rabbit things. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah? That's Paul's first illustration of this power. And he prays that Christians would understand God. May they know the resources given to them. God, may they understand the power and the might and the source of the energy that is in Christians. God, may they know what they have in having Christ. It's just 20. See them in. Put him far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, every name. Okay. We all celebrate Easter. Hey, listen, I've been to Jerusalem. Guess what? Tomb's empty. (laughs) Ain't nobody home. They do some weird stuff over there with the incense and all the rest of it. But, you know, you just end up going, wow, cool. He ain't here. Just like, oh, they said. Never mind. I forgot. And we all believe that, right? You believe that? Raised him from the dead, right? Seated him at the right hand, right? Amen. 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 What are you going to do with verse 6 of chapter 2? Read it in cursory reading. It's not that big a deal, is it? Unless... You understand past tense. He is not in the process of raising me from the dead. He has raised me. Oh, did you read the other part of it? Oh, wait. And is in the process of seating us. No. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God the Father is the same power that is in every child of God who is right now raised from the dead and seated in exaltation with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you want to settle for what? Brother, sisters, it breaks my heart. See what I see, but then I think about my king. What must he feel? I have given them everything they need for life and godliness, and they grovel around. 
That power was so powerful that it unlocked the chains of death. That power is so powerful, it set Christ free from the grave. And it is so powerful that it lifted Christ to the exaltation of Him in the right hand of God the Father. That power is so powerful that you who are Christians, you who believe, have the same. Now. Same power raised you. That same power raised you from the dead. That same power lifted you to exaltation as sons of God at the right hand of God. That's what Paul's trying to get to you and me. Do you understand the resources that you possess? You're not looking for them. You don't have to, well, you know, if I do such and such a Bible study, maybe I go to a Christian school, or maybe if I go to seminary, if I go to, no man, it's already there. In chapter 1, you had to understand the power of God. You look at the resurrection of Christ and His majestic exaltation. That is His first illustration. In chapter 2, to understand the power of God, look at your resurrection and your exaltation. That's His second illustration. That is salvation. I have been raised from the dead. I have been exalted at the right hand with Christ. Other than that, I'm lacking. Listen, and I'm going to go through this in the weeks to come. Spiritually, this has happened. Past tense, it has happened. Physically, I'm going to get a body that's just going to rock and roll. In eternity, forever and ever. But spiritually right now... Do you realize you are as holy right now as you're ever going to be? I don't care what you act like, but you ain't going to get any holier. Now, if you're deceived, then you're going to be depressed. You're going to say, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? And he can say, I I never knew you. And you're going to go, "Uh uh-oh. I don't know if that's what you're going to say. Physically, it's going to happen someday. Each of us who are elected, redeemed, and sons and daughters will be raised out of this world physically in the redemption of our bodies, Romans 8. To be with Christ. To be in His image. Or as Paul told the Corinthians, to know as we are known. That's what's coming. Physically. Spiritually. In your soul. In the thing that makes you who you are. That's already done. Your conscience. Your will. It's already done. Someday the resurrection will be exalted in a body. It's going to be awesome. But already past tense, if you are a Christian. God has accomplished the resurrection and the exaltation of every one of our souls and spirit, if you're a believer. 
And listen, I'm not talking about, well, I said the sinner's prayer. You know what? Your pastor, he didn't even know what that is. Because I've had people say, well, you know the sinner's prayer? Forgive me, I have sinned. I don't know. Please? Pretty please. See, that's the miracle Paul wants to talk about in chapter 2. See, I, I see so many people living their quote-unquote salvation. And you'll have to forgive me, it don't seem miraculous. They're just going through the hoops. To explain this, Paul wants to talk about, he wants to explain, um, he gives perhaps one of the greatest pictures of salvation that there is. I mean, if you take the first 10 verses of this chapter and you just kind of go through it, you, you, at first reading, there's a lot of there in, you've heard before. Well, he's seated at the right hand of God. That's right. Uh, I've been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. Oh, okay, that's right. Oh, good works that I'm just walking. All right, I got that, I got that, got that. I, and I don't know if you're getting the picture. This picture is an illustration of the power of God granted to every believer. It's a miracle. I cannot think of anything more miraculous than salvation. Nothing. I don't even care if you raise the dead. To me, that is not when it comes to salvation. Think about it. You were saved. You have been raised to walk in the newness of life. And exalted at the right hand with Christ. And you're worried about being raised from the dead? Verses 1 through 10, I've got six points that you see on your outline there. I guess I call them six, six aspects of salvation. But Paul presents salvation in those ten verses in basically three tenses. Okay? Past, present, and future. All right? Past is verses one through three. Okay? That's what you used to be like. Present, verses four to six and eight and nine. That's what you are now. Future, verse 7 and verse 10. Paul is giving it um, in those tenses. And if you really think about it, and if you're honest with yourself about, is this the word of God? Then you should be overwhelmed. Because I hate to break the news to you. This is a Christian Listen, he goes through this and says, this is what a Christian was. This is what a Christian is. This is what a Christian will be. Okay? And we all go, oh, amen, brother. Amen. You know what? Think what happens when salvation takes place then. Because this is what a Christian was. This is what a Christian is. This is what... I shall be. 
And you're just going to blow that off? See, it's the big picture I just gave you. It's the introduction into chapter 2. And then we'll look at each of these six points in the aspects of salvation in the weeks to come. Until I take a break to go teach Romans. And then when I return, I'll pick up salvation again. Got it? Very simple, very easy. So now everybody's going to say, I ain't telling them I'm born again. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. You know what? And somebody, I'm um, no doubt, will come up and says, here, I have a copy of the sinner's prayer for you. I'll say, thank you very much. And uh, then they'll say, do you know the Romans road? No, but I know the gospel of Romans. I didn't know there was a road in it. So, but you know how men are. We just keep looking and never ask for directions. So there you have it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. I thank you for my brother, Paul. Father, I know that there's a longing in my soul to be with you. And yet, Father, I think about the precious saints who have gone before us. Lord, uh, the path that they set, such a great cloud of witnesses. Father, may each of us who is here today be found faithful. Father, may the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ be that single thing that overwhelms us. Father, I thank you for this. I thank you so much for this this text. Father, and I thank you that you brought me into this text of salvation. And Father, the privilege you're going to give me to share with my brothers and sisters. Father, I pray that we understand our position in Christ. Father, I pray that in that time that you overwhelm us to who we are in you. Then our practice is seen to all humanity and the world would long, the lost would long for what we possess. Help us, Lord. Help us to know you with every breath you grace us. May we draw deeper into the mind of a holy God. To you, my Lord, my Savior. 